Hey everyone and welcome to episode 16 of the Convergence Podcast. I'm your host Siddhartha Valluri and this week I got a chance to talk with Pilot. This is an episode that I was really excited about as it's the first time that I had a musician on the show. So it was a chance for me to get an entirely new perspective on the creative industry. We spoke about his journey of getting into music production as well as the love that he has for science fiction and cyberpunk and how that influences the kind of work and the kind of music that he makes. There are so many things that I learned from this episode and it gave me an entirely new perspective on the process of creating music and the kind of thought process and mindset that goes into producing the kind of music that he does. So I hope you all really enjoy this episode and let's go. So as far as I can remember, we connected first on Instagram due to our mutual love for cyberpunk and yeah. science, science fiction basically mm. and yeah i can't remember who got in touch with who first but either way as soon as i saw your work i was like holy moly this is great <laughs> likewise likewise because at first when i think we started talking i didn't know you were a musician because i just saw the cover images on your instagram page so oh, i thought yeah. you were a photographer mm. or something then when i actually mm. went in the, into the post then i saw okay you make music and mm. yeah it was a interesting journey to kind of look at what you've done so far and yeah i mean you've been doing it for a while now i guess six seven years at this point i suppose yeah um about six and a half years Mm -hmm. yeah as pilot anyway i've been producing music for a lot longer maybe 11 years um but but this particular project yeah it's about six and a half years old something like that so so that was actually my first question where does this name pilot come from and what is the origin of the name um so originally I wanted to, when thinking about a name for the project, I was kind of thinking about what my goals were. Um, and the main kind of concept behind this project is to deliver not only music, but a, a story as well. Um, an original story, original artwork, original music kind of as a package. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of thought I want to take people on the journey Um who does that? And I thought, well, pilots do it. They literally take people from point A to B. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that'd be quite a cool name. Maybe I'll just switch the I out for a Y. Um, it seemed like the cool thing to do at the time. <laughs> um, that's pretty much it, man. I just decided that was going to be the name. Um, yeah, I like the I like the simplicity of it. Where I mean, there's a certain clear thought and vision that you hide right right from the beginning. And mm-hmm. you obviously obviously struck stuck with that idea all these years, and you of course write quite a bit as well along with the music that you produce. And mm-hmm. I don't think that's that common because I've seen a lot of people who write brilliant music, but the let's say notes that they take down are only personal things which they don't share in public. So that I thought was yeah. quite interesting. Yeah, you see like, um, you know, concept albums or maybe the artist has some kind of story in their head um, that they've realized through the music, but they don't actually present that to the audience. Um, That's kind of something they keep for themselves. Whereas um, I kind of wanted to build a world around a character called Pilot. Um, So I feel like I'm just coming at it from the opposite side. of course, the music is my main focus and I want people to enjoy it. Um, but I also want people to enjoy this world that I've created. Um, 
you know, through the story and stuff as well. So does storytelling come naturally to you or was it no. after you got into music <laughs> then that kind of evolved? Yeah, um, I think I basically, for quite a few years before I started Pilot, I was writing music and I was just releasing song after song and it was nice, but it wasn't satisfying enough for me. Um, I think what I wanted to do creatively was make something that I'd want to see myself or something that I would quite like to enjoy myself as a listener. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially being influenced by a lot of film soundtracks, you know, early 80s films, cyberpunk stuff. Um, I kind of thought, well, I want to kind of, I want to try and merge these three things together. You know, the visual aspect of this kind of neon dystopia kind of cyberpunk world i want to i want to make music for that world and i want to tell a story mm-hmm. um and i thought why not i just do it myself and honestly i don't the stuff i write i don't think it's that great but <laughs> i don't think i've I'd, ever met an artist who says that they're doing good work at the present moment yeah yeah that's true actually yeah i don't think i've either um but yeah i mean the guy that actually does the artwork he's insanely talented mm-hmm. um He's, he's really great. Mike Yakovlev, his name is. Um, and I'd worked with him previously before starting this project. And I was just like, we, this is the idea. Do you want to work on it with me? Um, he said yes. And so that was half the challenge really was finding someone that wanted to invest time into like world building with me. Um, so that was cool. It made my job a lot easier when it came to writing the story because I had something visual to look at as well. Yeah, I guess the artwork and the music feed off each other and the world keeps developing. Yeah, well, um, with my last song that I released, um, it had a music video and it was basically rendered in Blender. um, And that whole idea came about because he was just messing around with like a a motorbike model in Blender and he was kind of trying to learn how to use the software. Mm -hmm. And he showed me and I was like, we have to do a music video. This would be amazing. Um, Can we do one, please? And he was like, yeah, yeah. And then we spent like three months learning how to use Blender and kind of building a custom model of the bike and how we wanted it to look and all that stuff. Um, And that influenced the song massively because the song was still being written at the time. Mm -hmm. So I would then watch what he'd made and I would write music that I thought would go well with the the visual assets. yeah, it's it's quite fun to work like that as well. Instead of just handing him a finished song and being like, "Okay, you make the video now." It was nice. It's more of a collaborative thing. And this song is called "The Return," right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's around the time when we started talking, if I remember correctly. So it's interesting. Mm-hmm. I think that's it's been a couple of months at this point. And yeah, it came out in August, I think. Oh, wow. August, yeah. yeah. And then I went back through a couple of your earlier tracks as well, and. It was quite clear from the early stages of your pilot project that you had this aesthetic and idea in mind. But I want mm-hmm. to know before you went into this path, how was your journey like? Like, did you learn classical music before, or was it just tinkering on your own? How did the journey in music begin? Um, so I'm not classically trained. I don't know much music theory at all. Um, most of the stuff that I write is basically by ear. Um. I know basic scales and um, I'm not sure if I have perfect pitch or not. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with what perfect pitch is. I am not at all. Okay. It's basically the ability to be able to listen to a song or a note and immediately know what that note is in your head. Um, And so for me, if I want to write a piece of music, it's quite easy for me to think of the notes and know exactly what they are. Okay. That's an E flat. That's an F. That's a C. Um, 
before playing it. So then when it comes to writing music, it's much easier for me to just go, okay, I hear that chord, right? That's a that's an E minor seven, cool, or whatever. Instead of me having to sit and try and figure it out. Um, it doesn't always work. I don't think I have perfect pitch, but I think I've got quite a good ear really for, for music and stuff because I've just been self-taught. Um, so yeah, I started when I was about 12 years old. Um, my first instrument I got was like a drum kit. Okay. And I started playing in bands and stuff like cover bands and covering music from like Nirvana and, you know, all these old bands. Um, and then as I grew up, I kind of picked up the guitar, then I picked up the bass. Um, I went to college and I studied music technology and that's where I discovered um, the ability to sequence MIDI and the ability to record stuff. And as soon as I realized that I could be a one-man band and I could record everything and write my own music, from that moment on, I think in like 2006 that was, I was like, okay, this is this has got to be my career. Like I want to do this. Um, I went to university and I think in the last year of my degree, I released um an ep um with a project called televisor so i used to be in a duo called televisor um i'm used to write um daft punk-esque kind of like new disco disco house kind of stuff mm -hmm. um and as soon as that started picking up traction uh, that's when i knew then that I, I wanted to pursue this um fast forward to 2015 i decided to do pilot and then i left televisor shortly after and i've just been doing that ever since but it's just grown massively over the years, you know, from from 2006 to now. Um, it certainly doesn't feel like 15 years ago. Wow. Um, yeah, it's crazy. That's a long <laughs> journey. Yeah. I mean, it just goes to show how long it takes to reach a certain level of proficiency in the craft that you're pursuing. Definitely. I meet so many people um, that are like... I've been doing this for two years and my stuff sounds terrible. Like I'm just about to give up and I'm like, I've been doing it for 15 years and I still think my stuff sucks. But the difference is, is that I think if you do something because you genuinely like doing it and you have a passion for it, you will do it regardless. And nine times out of 10, you're going to get better the more you do something as long as you practice and you analyze your work. Um, I'm sure you can relate in that aspect. Yeah. And so I always say to people, look, it's, it's a time investment. Just put the time in, and if you truly enjoy it, you'll get better. But if you're if you're just doing it because you want to be successful or whatever, then chances are you won't be. Um, and usually, when I tell people that, they're like, "Right, okay, you've been doing it for fifteen years. Wow, okay, maybe I won't bother." <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> Was there an aspect early on when you were playing in bands and kind of feeding off that energy that your friends gave you or the crowd gave you? playing live because that's a completely different feeling than sitting inside the studio like you are right now. Yeah. So when I was a part of that duo televisor, we um, did quite a few gigs. So I did gigs in like Paris, in London, in Ireland. Um, yeah. And although it's nice to go out and like meet your fans, your listeners, I didn't really enjoy it that much. Mm. And I think it's because I'm actually quite introverted so I quite like being sat in my little room with my, my my little toys and just kind of messing around with them and then putting it out there. Um, of course, I like meeting people and stuff, but I think the pressure of having to like perform and to like put on a show mm -hmm. um, that people are paying to watch, that for me was just too much pressure, I think. So I could never fully relax and enjoy it. I was always incredibly, incredibly nervous before shows. Um, I would feel physically sick and I wouldn't be able to eat. And 
I would do the shows and afterwards I would feel great, but I'd be like, I'm glad it's over now because that was just so much stress. <laughs> wow. Um, I appreciate yeah, the so honesty about that because, um, I mean, especially when we look at these crazy music festivals, I mean, it's like mass crowds, people just going crazy mm-hmm. over there. And I think there is mm-hmm. a pressure almost for younger musicians that they need to be like that. And I like the fact that you're willing to resist that. Yeah. What's good is I think like the current kind of, music consuming like landscape and culture um, leans itself towards people like me mm-hmm. that don't necessarily want to go out and, and do shows that often. Um, you know, it's easy. It's not easy, but I mean, it's possible for people to make money now um, just from streaming, just from song sales, or, you know, licensing your music, whatever. Um, and so I feel like it's becoming more of a, more of a common occurrence where people are quite happy to not perform. They're quite happy to just sit and, and work on the music. Um, the funny thing is, is that you can make a lot of money, you know, doing gigs, you can make a lot of money, um, all expenses paid and stuff like that. And I mean, if you enjoy it, then I guess it would be the dream job because you get to travel, um, you know, you get to play your music live, you get paid well for it. Um, but yeah, I always found comfort in just being sat in this little space, just doing what I do. <laughs> That's interesting. I mean, when I look mm. at your studio right now, you've got quite a lot of equipment of different kinds, a variety of instruments. But starting mm-hmm. out, I'm sure it wasn't that easy to set up that bigger studio, right? So I'm curious yeah. from a young artist's perspective, how do how does that journey go? I was talking to my partner about this earlier. Um, and it's it's crazy because... I was talking to about how in life you can have a goal, like a long-term goal. And there's all these like macro decisions that you take to get to micro decisions that you take to get to this like big picture. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for me, when I first started writing music, I just had a computer and a pair of headphones. Um, You can't see what's in front of me here, but I've got an audio interface. I've got speakers. I've got all this equipment in front of me here, as well as this stuff behind me. And, starting out I had none of that and I didn't need it um you know you kind of learn to make the best work you can with what you've got and kind of work within your means um as a young artist I always looked at spaces like this and thought wow I I would love to have somewhere like that to work one day and that was 15 years ago like it's taken me a long time to get here Mm -hmm. and it was it was only this year that I renovated the space um acoustically treated it you know bought things like this and um it's taken me a long time to get here so I think as a young artist it's easy to look at people like me and actually feel discouraged and be like well you know, I'm, I'm so far away from being where this person is. Um, it just demotivates me. But I'd actually say being someone that has felt that way myself. When you look at people like me in spaces like this, use that as inspiration. You know, my story is, is one of a real grind and a real graft. Um, you know, growing up in a small on a small island in Wales in the middle of nowhere oh, um, wow. and have... Yeah, and having to actually move just to pursue like what I wanted to. Um, anyone can do it. I think it's it's like I say, it's lots of little micro decisions to work towards your goal. Do you come from a family which has a musical background or an artistic creative background? Yeah, um, my mum, uh, she's a vocalist mm-hmm. and she also plays a couple of instruments. Um, so I grew up around her singing all the time or playing music all the time. 
And because of where I grew up, it was like this, it's like a small Welsh village. So there was absolutely nothing there. There was a beach and two shops, that's it. Um, and so we had to make our own funds. So I basically would play drums and skateboard and that would be it. Like I couldn't go to the cinema. I couldn't do anything like that because the nearest cinema was like 20 miles away or whatever. Um, and so, yeah, I basically just picked up an instrument and just started learning it. Um, and my friends did the same thing. And that's how we ended up getting into bands and doing all that kind of thing because we basically had no other choice. Like what else could we do with all our free time <laughs> when we were young? Yeah, that's fascinating. I mean, these are the kind of stories I really like listening to when interacting with new artists that I've never met before, because mm. I mean, now we're in a, you're like a position where you have all this equipment, but hardly anybody knows where it all started. So mm -hmm. on that point, I was actually curious, like what were some of your earlier inspirations that got you into music to begin with? Um, so I liked listening to when I was younger, I used to listen to a lot of like progressive rock or progressive metal music. And um, it just fascinated me how you could get five or six people in a room and to get them to all contribute to this one epic thing. And everyone has their own you know, particular parts and everyone contributes in their own unique way. And I guess that's what got me into drumming in the first place and kind of learning more about music and, and learning different instruments was that I wanted to create something with my friends um, that I guess would stand the test of time. Like I have some like old recordings that we made years and years ago that no one will probably ever listen to mm -hmm. because they're so terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's nice, like, you know, we've made something and that's a memory now. I can always listen back and um, listen to that. Um, and I think that's what really got me into it initially was just listening to music I loved and wanting to basically be a part of something like that, recreate stuff. Um, do covers, you know, stuff like that. And then as soon as I learned about the ability to be able to actually write whole songs on my own and record them on my own, that's what really got me into music production. Mm. Um, I think had I not gone to college and learned about, um, you know, digital audio workstations and learned about being able to record and sequencing and all that stuff, I definitely wouldn't be doing this today. I have no idea what I'd be doing, but I don't think it would be this. It's interesting, right? Sometimes the tools that you come across can drastically change the type of music you end up making. Definitely. Yeah, without a doubt. And I mean, you know, if you want to be a drummer, you have to buy a drum kit, right? But if you want to be a songwriter and if you're okay with, um, you know, finger drumming or something, it's like I can play all the instruments and record them in this tiny room. I don't need to buy the stuff. So like, I can record drums using a sampler. I can record guitar using a plugin. I don't need to actually own the instruments. Um, and so as a musician, it's so much cheaper and more accessible to get like a, a small laptop and to buy software and to make things that way um, instead of buying physical instruments. So that was a massive factor in, in me deciding to do this was the cost initially. Mm -hmm. Now, now that you've had quite a fair amount of experience under your belt, do you ever get the inclination of trying out like live orchestral setups and stuff like that? Yeah, um, it would be amazing. I've, I was talking to someone, um, he's an orchestrator, mm -hmm. and I was talking to him about the possibility of taking some of my previous work and orchestrating it. Um, and he knows he knows lots of session musicians basically that could basically build a small orchestra and then they would record some of the songs. And that to me, 
sounds really great. Um, I would love to do that, but it's also very expensive <laughs> to do that as well. Um, because you have to hire about 30 session musicians and you have to hire a studio and all this stuff. Um, it's something I've thought about for sure, but chances are if I was to orchestrate it, I would just do it myself. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. And I would just use plugin software. I would just sit here and write it myself. <laughs> um, but I think I would rather get the real thing, which is why I haven't done it yet. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. Mm. It's interesting how you mentioned the cost factor for something even grander. And earlier we were talking about people who are just getting into music to whom your current studio setup is sort of out of reach. So it's something that always keeps happening no matter what level of production you reach to. Definitely. Because I think initially you're not limited. Well, you can be limited by what you have access to. Um, but I also think you can be you can be very creative and you can use what you have and utilize it to its fullest and make some great things. So GarageBand, for example, is free with like any Apple laptop or an iPhone and you can make decent stuff using that. Like I, I started on GarageBand um, and that worked for me. Um, so I think in today's technologically advanced kind of society i don't think it's out of reach for anyone to start this with with very little investment mm -hmm. um but as you progress through your career you kind of you exhaust options you you do the same thing over and over again and you want to push yourself you want to challenge yourself and for me it's it's kind of learning new skills so learning how to use things like this which was completely foreign to me initially um you know and i guess when you when you earn money doing this kind of thing it, you it's easier to reinvest the money and spend it because you because you know it's 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 a lucrative venture. It's not like you're wasting money with no return. Mm -hmm. You're investing, hoping that you'll make a return. Um, and I feel like it's important as a musician to at least try and stretch your creative boundaries a bit. Um, as a creator in general, whether you're a filmmaker or an artist or whatever, um, trying to push yourself is important. And I think for me, um, buying things isn't the answer but throwing myself into like new territories i'm not familiar with is a good idea um so like for example this um Eurorack synthesizer that i've got here you can get a free version of this in software form can you so describe the machine in a bit more detail for those of them who don't know yeah yeah um so it's basically a custom synthesizer built into a custom case and it's made up of individual modules that you can buy so there's lots of different module types so you have um oscillators sequencers um gates you have filters you have mixers all kinds of things and you can buy these and piece together your own ideal like synthesizer system mm -hmm. um which is what i've done here um yeah, so you'd buy, there's lots of different manufacturers and you just buy the individual components, slot them in and kind of tailor make something that's unique to your sound or what sound it is you want to achieve. Um, but unlike conventional synthesis where everything is normaled, um, meaning that it's hardwired, mm -hmm. um, this is basically not normal. So you have to plug everything in manually. So if I want to send an output to an input, I have to plug a physical cable in to do that, which is why you can see all this cable spaghetti everywhere. It's interesting. Um, I mean, just the way the cable's thrown around over there, it already takes me to a cyberpunk-ish. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. But yeah, it's interesting. I mean, 
to me all this is completely new technology because i'm not into music production at all so i always mm-hmm. find it fascinating understanding how this process happens and yeah i was also What's curious we- about um sorry to cut you off but it's fine just this journey into cyberpunk you mentioned that some of the earlier movies is what got you into it did you also read a lot of cyberpunk literature i didn't i didn't really read a lot growing up at all mm-hmm. um and i don't really read a lot now either to be honest um i read books like uh where is it that one there um you know audio technology books um books about like the musical process or whatever um but when i was younger i just watched a lot of movies mm-hmm. um and i would just absorb a lot of art and stuff um so even films like like the matrix series i thought was really great yeah um blade runner is an obvious one um tron you know just these different films um and growing up i guess it's one of those where you look at a world like that and you you want to be in it like you're you hope you're alive one day to live somewhere like that mm-hmm. um and i don't think i will be so it's nice for me to be able to at least create a world myself that i would like to see and kind of make a story and make the music and kind of live my life through it that way <laughs> um also being sat in a, a tiny room like this with all these neon lights and stuff is helpful like if i turn this stuff on you can see how many lights and stuff i've got going on in here so it's quite a nice little space just to sit in and get lost well wow, that that's really nice i mean i like the way you've essentially designed your life around this project that you're that's ongoing for so many years at this point and it kind of immerses you into that universe yeah i think i'm just fortunate that like i i get to do it as a job now um so i have the opportunity to i have a good excuse to invest all my time into it mm-hmm. um which is which is a, which is a wonderful thing um like i say i spend a lot of time in in this room every day um just trying to work on stuff trying to get stuff done um trying to expand my horizons and like work on things like game trailers or film soundtracks and stuff um yeah it's a lot of fun i'm definitely fortunate to be where i am like i I've, i've got many friends at the minute who are like struggling to find work during the pandemic um so i'm fortunate that i can just stay at home and and kind of earn money you know i'm certainly grateful for the position i'm in without a doubt no definitely but of course there's a lot of underlying hard work that goes into getting to this stability as well yeah for sure definitely um without a doubt definitely there's a quote i i don't know where the the origin of the quote is from but um i think it's true in the sense that what is the quote um luck doesn't exist luck is merely a combination of hard work and opportunity. Mm. So, if you work hard enough to achieve something, when an opportunity presents itself, you're ready. Um, you know, it's like I worked so hard on just developing my skills and really getting nowhere in terms of generating income and you know, what it means to be successful in the general sense. I wasn't really getting anywhere for a long long time for many years. Um, but I enjoyed the process and I kept working hard. Um, and yeah one day an opportunity came along i pitched a song to a record label mm-hmm. and that was it because i'd done the work beforehand they saw my catalog they were interested and yeah that's how my career started that's fascinating i wanted to dive a bit deeper into that very process you know because 
Mm. Um, as amateur musicians, people are sitting in their homes recording covers of bands that they like. How is this process of getting signed on by a label? I mean, what are the intricacies of actually signing a deal like that? So it depends. So the label, I, I can't go into like specific details mm -hmm. because of contracts and stuff like sure, that. Sure. But um, the label I was working with is a label called Monster Cat. Mm -hmm. And um, they've grown to be this colossal size now. I think they're the biggest independent label in North America. Um, they're, they're really big. And like I say, it this was a complete mix of luck and hard work because um, I'd spent my three years in university I basically didn't go out. I didn't party. I just spent all my time in my room, like trying to work on my craft. And then as soon as I left university, um, me and this other guy that I was working with as part of Televisor, um, we were looking for labels to pitch our music to. And I found this label called Monster Cat. And um, at the time they were a big label to me. They had maybe, it sounds silly, but I, I used to judge the labels based on their social media metrics. <laughs> so I would go, okay, they've got 50,000 likes, right? Let's pitch to these guys. Like it's stupid. It's a silly way to think. But um, anyway, I, I sent them an email. I sent them out uh, the song that we'd been working on. And then we heard back and they were like, yeah, we'd love to uh, do a deal with you guys. So the type of deals, they weren't a lot of label deals these days, if they're a major label, there'll be like album deals. Mm -hmm. So they'll ask you to, uh, you're signed to us for a period of five years and we want you to release four albums in that time. Oh, wow. um, we want you to commit to X, Y, Z. And then during that time period, you have to do it. Whereas with Monster Cat, they would just sign you non-exclusively on a per single basis. So it gave us a lot of flexibility because I pitched them one song and they just released the one song. That was it. We weren't obligated to do any more if we didn't want to. And off the back of that, their audience helped our profile grow. Um, and then our music helped them grow. And we kind of mutually grew together a bit. Um, and so we, we decided to just keep releasing singles with them for a couple of years. Um, and we released an EP with them as well. Uh, yeah, we kept releasing songs with them. And then they got so big, they got massive. Um, and my kind of artistic vision like where i wanted the music to go didn't really align with the label anymore um and so at that point we just decided to stop releasing and to go elsewhere and release but it was a good opportunity because we built we basically built our profile off the back of the exposure that we got from working with them and vice versa so mm -hmm. I'm, I'm really glad we did that that's actually a pretty interesting thing i never knew that there were these kind of flexible contracts as well where it's just limited to particular singles yeah, well, neither did I at the time until I, I, I messaged them and then they they emailed me back saying, yeah, we'll do a, a single deal. Um, and my first pilot song, because I had a connection at the label there, uh, my first pilot song was released through that label as well. Mm -hmm. um, and at that time, their audience was massive. I mean, it's absolutely colossal now, but, um, you know, what a good head start that gave me by being able to release my debut single with on, on such a big platform. Um, so I'll forever be grateful for that as well. Um, but it's because of the, the contact I established years beforehand as, as part of Televisor. Yeah. I think the biggest takeaway for me as an artist in general is that never underestimate how big an entity can become. You never know, like don't underestimate any entity. Definitely. Even if it's people you work with, like you can work with someone or you can have an opportunity to collaborate with someone 
Um, and if someone's talented, I always I always think to myself, just go for it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if a project appeals to you and you have the chance to work with someone, even if they have no following, who cares? If they if they make good work, they make good work, right? And and that's that should be the main the re- the main reason at least why I do things is because I want to work on it. Um, always do it because like there are people I've worked with in the past that are absolutely massive now that are doing really well for themselves. Um, and the industry is quite fickle like that. Like overnight people can just blow up, um, you know, whether they go viral or some other thing. Um, you just never know. Same for record labels. It's crazy. So in terms of developing an entire full length album, how long is it typically, or is it even possible to categorize that this is how long it should take? Well, I've never written a full-length album. Mm-hmm. Um, I've only ever released EPs because I write music so slowly. Um, I think it doesn't help that I've chosen to write a story as well mm-hmm. because the music really has to coexist with it and it has to make sense within the context of the story. So if I feel like writing a really upbeat, fast-tempo electronic song... I have to make sure that if it's my le- if it's my next release, that it makes sense within the context of the story to do that. Um, if someone's just died in the story and I'm releasing an upbeat track, it's not going to make sense. Um, so there will be times where creatively I want to make music that doesn't suit the narrative and I have to pull back. Um, so, for example, with my last two EPs I released, it took me so long to do them because they literally had to have a narrative from start to finish but it also had to make sense as a body of work. And the the EP also had to sound collectively like it was cohesive, like it belonged together. Um, So yeah, it's a challenge. Those EPs took me, the first EP took me about two years to make. Oh, Um, okay. That's, yeah, that's quite a long time. Yeah, the second one, one of the songs on my last EP took me four years. (laughs) But I I basically put it on the shelf for about a year because I I was just fed up with it. and then I picked it back up and I basically rehashed it and, and started it again. But I, I've got friends that like I've got one friend who's written 12 albums in five years, um, which is a lot of music. Yeah. But I'm the complete opposite. Like it will take me 12 years to make five albums. Like, you know what I mean? Does it, take does me it ever put pressure on you when you see your friends or other artists put that kind of work out at such a fast pace? Yeah. Yeah, it does. Because I think in today's kind of music consuming culture and society, people are, are used to consuming things quick and trends live and they die very quick as well. Um, so I guess if you're interested in staying relevant, then it's important to steadily release work as a musician. Um, I'm kind of getting used to the fact that that's not how I work now. And I'm kind of just alleviating the pressure a bit on myself i'm not forcing myself to kind of put stuff out um i feel like i did that with my last ep and as a result i don't really like half my last ep um half the songs on there i do like and then i kind of rushed it out just to get it done mm-hmm. um whereas now since then i've learned to kind of take my time so like the last song i released was six months ago um but i honestly think for me like it's quality over quantity. So I released that song independently via my own uh, label imprint. And I I spent no money on marketing. And that song recently broke 1.1 million streams or something. Um, 
and that's with no label backing. Like that song's done better than most of the songs on my on my EP that I released through a label that had you know a massive marketing spend and stuff. Um, so I feel like if I have time to make my best work, it's going to pay off either way. I don't want to rush it, hmm. but the pressure is definitely there, without a doubt. Definitely. I like the fact that you're coming to terms and realization in terms of how your process works and not getting swayed by the industry because it's very easy to face feel that way no matter what creative industry you might be working in definitely and especially with like the music production kind of scene and industry uh, software developers are always coming out with things that make it quicker and easier and faster to make music and mm-hmm. you know this uh, this piece of software figures out chord progressions for you. This one tells you what key you're in and can write melodies for you. Um, for me personally, I'm not interested in that kind of thing. Um, but it kind of shows you the kind of landscape that these companies are contributing to, which is a very fast output and a very fast consumption rate of, of music. Um, but there are there are a lot of people, millions of people out there that understand the craft and that appreciate one song every three, four, five, six months instead of 20 songs a month that will just kind of either go unheard or go under the radar or whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, breaching that one million mark is a pretty amazing deal. And I'm really happy for you that you did that. And it was a really thanks. amazing song. I mean, I heard it a couple of times while working as well. It's got a awesome. It's, I, I really like it. And I want to get into the production of the music itself. I wanted mm-hmm. to understand what are the emotions that you go through as a musician while writing something like that? <laughs> well, for me, it's a constant mental battle with myself. <laughs> um, it's, I, I don't know if you're the same, but if I'm working on something and I have like an end goal, for me to get from point A to B is like this. It's up and down, up and down constantly. Um, maybe five steps back, three steps forward, two steps back, whatever, until mm-hmm. I get there. Um, it's certainly a pleasure to do. I, I really enjoy it, but um, uh, I've just started streaming and like my viewers tell me the same thing. I'm quite indecisive. <laughs> I can't just I can't just move on from an idea. I always go back and I fiddle with it and I like fine tune things. Um, in a way, I feel that's probably beneficial and it's kind of helped me kind of craft my own style. But at the same time, um, it makes it quite hard sometimes to enjoy the process when you're picking apart your own work so rigorously. Um, Sometimes it's good to learn to be able to just say when something is done and mark it as done and like put it on the shelf, move it to one side and carry on. it's fun, but it's it is an emotional roller coaster. Sometimes, do you ever get? For me, I feel like I have like imposter syndrome sometimes. So I'll sit here and I'll be like, I'm sat in this space with all this nice gear that I've worked hard to get, but I don't know how I got here. Like, um, you you know, you kind of devalue your own artistic output. Um, maybe it's just a self confidence thing. I'm not sure. But sometimes I'll sit here and I'll be like, oh, my God, how did I even write that song? I don't think I could make another song like that again, Um, especially following up from my last song. It is tough because I feel like that's my best work. And how can I make something better than that? You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I do understand parts of it because I, I, I have mixed feelings about this imposter syndrome thing that creatives generally talk about, because I feel a large part of the imposter syndrome is almost drilled into us where mm-hmm. people expect artists to have imposter syndrome almost at this point. 
So I'm still right. not completely sure or sold on that idea. I feel like the self-confidence part is more appropriate mm-hmm. because you're always, um, let's say, very critical of your own work and much mm-hmm. more appreciative of what other people do. And yeah. I think it's an ongoing process. I'd say that's a more accurate assessment of it, definitely. I think it's creatives in general will have inspirations and they'll often compare themselves to people that they idolize mm-hmm. or you know, whatever they make, they will compare that to other things that they really like. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's going to be that. I think it's just the fact that you often listen to things and you go, right, how can I get to this level? Um, You know, do I deserve to be in a position I'm in? Um, You know, the brain is a stupid thing sometimes. (laughs) Like, you know, you can talk yourself into some ridiculous things. Um, Sometimes you just have to tell yourself, you know, you've earned the right to be where you are you just have to keep working on your own thing and just do you absolutely you can't put too much pressure on yourself i mean your success with the latest track which like you said you didn't market it at all it was just done by yourself has done so well mm. so clearly you're in the right path that way um mm. that actually so. leads me to a question about how you as a musician assess your own progress because as a artist i can see year by year the visual quality developing the ideas and the story developing how is it for musicians? Um, I guess it's a tough one because similarly to artwork, I guess you can look at a drawing and say, that is great. And you can appreciate it and it has its own context and the creator will have had a vision in mind. And if you understand the vision of the creator when making that piece of work, you can contextualize it better and you can kind of appreciate it for what it is. Um, even if you don't, particularly like it yourself you can still look at it and appreciate it um as a creator like as a musician i think it's one of those things where um because i'm not just writing the music i'm also having to produce it i'm having Mm -hmm. to mix it i'm having to do the sound design um there's so many ways in which you could do something i think you really have to try and establish your own style and just be comfortable with that. Um, you know, finding writing something because you like making it, not because you think that's what other people will like. Um, I think that's very important. I think once you can kind of be comfortable with that notion and you can sit down and relax and just write a piece of music that makes you happy and that you're happy to put out. I think that's half the battle when it comes to listening to your own work and kind of critiquing your own work. Um, yeah, some of the earlier stuff I put out, I listened to it and I think, oh, I could have mixed that much better. Like if I was to remake it now, mm-hmm. I could make it so much better. Um, but I also like the fact it's out there. I like that you can hear my my skill develop as time goes on. Um, and I think it's important not to shy away from the fact that your music or your content will have imperfections. It's a good thing. Um if anything, just because it shows other people that there's there's room to progress and you know people can always get better. For sure. That that's quite true. Especially as you keep building up that catalogue of work, it's always fun to look back as well and think about what ideas you had a decade ago and why you were thinking in a certain manner. And often those yeah. ideas are quite raw at that point and a more experienced artist can pull more out of that thought process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I agree. So in terms of your process, like you mentioned that you do the production and the mixing of the song as well. Is there any particular reason why you've kept it with yourself and not reached out to other production 
people or other people who mix the music as well? I think it's because the kind of music I write, I mean, firstly, I enjoy it. I really enjoy the process. Um, secondly, the, the kind of music I write, you, the different, you know, mixing, the production, the music writing, they kind of cross over. Um, you know, if I if I want to create a bass sound that's that's very raspy and very distorted and I want that to sit in my mix a certain way, um, it's no good me writing it and then sending it off to someone because mm -hmm. I have to contextualize it here first. I have to know, okay, if I've got this part playing, is there enough space musically for me to add this part or that part? And as a mix engineer, I guess if I was to send this off to an engineer, it's their job to try and contextualize it for me. Whereas I very like, I very much like the idea of having full control over every aspect of the project, just because then it's fully my work. Um, you know, apart from the artwork, of course, Mike does a great job, but musically everything is, I master my own music as well. I don't send it off to be mastered. Uh, I never have. Um, and I think it's just because I want to take full creative ownership of what's out there and, and be accountable as well. So, if something sounds terrible and I get bad feedback, I know it's something I can work on um, and the skills that I can develop instead of just writing the music and then sending it off to a team of two or three other people to, to do everything else. Yeah, that's it's quite common though. I yeah. think I think many people and well, pretty much all of the producers and the other artists in the scene that I know of personally, um, they do everything themselves too. They might send their songs off to get mastered, but they're producing and they're mixing and they're writing and recording in their own spaces. And then they're sending it out um, to get mastered and then distributed. So I guess as the tools are getting more accessible and more powerful, you have more ability to take control of the entire process essentially. Yeah, definitely, for sure. Do you think early on as a musician who's really early in their career, access to so much technology and so many tools can get overwhelming and almost hinder their growth as a musician. Yeah, I think um, I was talking about this with a friend of mine recently. I think, so for example, when I started out, I, I didn't have any money at all. Um, I basically spent my student loan on this synthesizer uh -huh. and I had to live on like 10 pound a week for like two years. Um, and that was really difficult, but I managed. But I basically used what little equipment I had to make what I made. And I think that kind of instilled a level of, I guess, respect mm -hmm. for songwriting in general. I think it's not necessary to have all this equipment and to, there's so much available out there that people kind of forget that at the crux of it all, you have to have a good musical idea. Like you can have all the technology in the world, but if your idea is rubbish, it's probably going to sound rubbish. Um, like I've, I've had friends in the past that, you know, their parents have bought them everything they've wanted in terms of musical equipment or whatever. Um, and they've never used it. They've never utilized it. It's just been the biggest waste of money ever. Um, and at the time I envied them. I was like, Oh man, I wish I had everything you've got. Mm -hmm. Um, but the stuff I was making was, was pretty good at the time. You know, I didn't have any of the stuff, but um, I think it's easy to get distracted by the technology instead of thinking about, you know, the foundation of a good song is the music and you can get a pen to paper. Um, you can record an idea on your phone or whatever. 
Um, you don't need thousands and thousands of pounds of equipment in order to do that. Um, and having a good base in learning how to write songs and learning, you know, basic music theory and stuff goes a, a much further way than just buying everything because you think that's going to make you a good producer. Yeah, that's, that's quite true. And in fact, just a couple of months back, I was watching this video by Junkie XL on his YouTube channel mm. where he was essentially selling off a whole bunch of equipment that he had acquired mm. over the years. And it was pretty fascinating because he's one of the biggest sound score producers in the world. And for mm. him to be giving away his equipment is fascinating because he doesn't need to. I mean, so it's quite fascinating the way mm. you almost go to a full circle when you reach the top then you again want to go back to the very basic stuff that you had. Yep. Yeah, it's true. I've had a lot more equipment than this in the past. Mm -hmm. um, and I've sold a lot of it or given it away. Um, like I gave the college course I used to, I, I was telling you about earlier on, um, I donated some equipment to them and stuff because I just thought I don't need it. Like I've got it, but I don't need it. And I was a victim of being distracted by all this stuff myself. Um I think I did watch a video with Junkie XL in. Um, it might not have been the same one, mm -hmm. but he was giving an interview where he was basically saying that, you know, um, when you work on these big budget films and the budget is is pretty much endless, like you can ask for anything you want in order to make it happen. It's easy for you to get distracted from the actual core value of the idea. Um, you know, so at its essence, you need to write music that's compelling. How you write it is up to you. Do I really need a 30,000 pound modular synthesizer to do that? Probably not. Um, you know, and it's, e it's easy to fall into that trap because everyone likes shiny new toys and yeah. everyone likes to play with new things, but do you need it? Yeah, it's an I interesting, don't, don't it's an interesting challenge. Definitely. Mm. So that actually leads me to the question about your other professional work. You said earlier that you have scored music for games and movies as well. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a bit more about how that process has been? Yeah, so I haven't I haven't done a lot of this kind of work, but for example, I've worked on a Taco Bell advert. Um, I worked on that in April 2018. Um, basically, Taco Bell approached my publisher. Um, I have a publishing deal, and they approached my publisher and said, "We'd really like a song like um, Kane. It's the title of a song that I wrote in 2017." And um, my publisher got in touch with me and said you know, Taco Bell are looking for a song of a similar style. Could you write something? I was like, of course, yeah, I'll drop everything. I'll do it immediately. Um, and so I basically, they sent me a brief. I worked on that for a few weeks and it was very collaborative. We spent a lot of time on conference calls. I would send them what I'm working on. They would send me like rough cuts of the advert and I would basically have to write to the beats of the advert. So whenever there was a scene change or there was something happening in the advert that needed to be accentuated yep. musically, I could I could put something there to help, um, you know, elicit that response from the audience. Um, so we did that back and forth for about six weeks. Um, the advert was done. It's out there now. I think it was I think it was played across the entirety of North America, I believe, um, for about three or four months which is pretty cool. Um, apart from that, I worked on a film called Escape from North Korea. And that was basically like um, a comedy film, uh, essentially taking the mickey out of like old 80s action films. Mm -hmm. So it's really over the top, cheesy, like action, you know, ridiculous things happening. Um, but that was a load of fun. Uh, the 
film studio is called Key Things Pictures. Um, and they reached out to me and was like, this is the concept. We'd love you to work on this. Um, so, yeah, I ended up writing, I think, seven songs oh, for wow, that film, okay. which is really cool. Um, other than that, the only thing I've done regarding games is I recently finished a, a trailer for a video game. Um, the video game is called Serium Sector. And it's essentially made by one indie developer. So he's done the whole thing on it by himself. It looks great. Um, and yeah, I sorted him out with the music. My partner did the voiceover for the trailer as well. Um, they wanted like a female AI kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, so that was really cool. Um, and yeah, he's looking to get funding for that on Kickstarter relatively soon. So should be, hopefully it happens because then I'll probably be writing music for the game as well, which would be really fun. That'll be pretty interesting, yeah. Mm. Um, it's fascinating, right? Because all of your personal work and the music that you make, you essentially don't have to answer to anybody. It's up to you whether you like it or mm -hmm. not. And when it comes mm -hmm. to these commercial projects, there are musical directors and clients who have different mm -hmm. expectations. How has your experience mm -hmm. been in terms of dealing with other people and the feedback or critique that they give? That's a good question. Um, so... On the one hand, I have it slightly easier than say your standard music composer because mm -hmm. I have a I have a clear style that's been identified through my previous work. And so people tend to come to me if they want my particular sound. Um, you know, so I won't I won't often get people asking me to write them uh, a jazz piece or something. Most of the time they're asking me to write music that's similar to my style. Yeah. So in that sense, I have a bit more freedom. Um but at the same time, like when I worked on the Taco Bell advert, for example, um, when I'm given a deadline for something, I will work my butt off until it's finished. Um, and I basically finished the whole thing without sending it to them. And when I sent it to them, they had so many revisions and adjustments. I was kind of sat in my studio like, oh, I've just worked so hard on this and they've like ripped <laughs> it apart and I'm going to have to start it. Um, but it was a learning curve for me, definitely. Um, because I realized that, ultimately the client has to be happy. Yeah. Um, you know, I'd worked on the film before this. And so I did have an understanding of this, but um, he was just happy to have me on board and he, he basically signed off on every song straight away without any revisions. Um, so then to go through the experience of working on this advert, it was interesting because, um, you know, they'd ask for revisions, they'd ask for changes, they'd ask me to, to maybe try other ideas. Um, but it's a really fun process, like being able to work with a team collaboratively while as they're working on the trailer and kind of create this thing that at the end, it just worked really well. Like it, it suited it really well. So I was happy with it. Do you ever plan to, or let's say, do you have intentions of working on full feature length films and make that a bigger part of your career down the line? I would love to. I would absolutely love to. Um, my friend, I've recently just finished scoring a very short episode of a series called Atlas. Mm -hmm. um, and that story is based in like a dystopian futuristic world um, regarding technology and, and the state of the government and, you know, all this different stuff. It's really, really cool idea. Um, and the first episode is out now on YouTube. Um, and he's hoping to continue that series and eventually make a future length film. Um, and I've said to him from the beginning that I am totally open to work on that. Um, and I would love to work on stuff in the future. Like I'm sure I've mentioned to you, if you ever need music, man, hit me up. Yeah, Let's definitely. I mean, that, that is definitely on my mind as well. There are so many 
ideas that I have as well constantly, but there's only so much that can be executed at a given point of, of time. Of course, yeah. But, um, yeah. but I'm I'm super open. That's something I really want to do. Um, I kind of break away from just a conventional three and a half, four minute long songwriting. Mm-hmm. And kind of work more within the context of a, a bigger, longer narrative and kind of give the music a narrative that suits what's happening on screen and kind of has its own audible journey. Um, that's why I really like work from composers like Hans Zimmer so much. Um, films like Inception or Interstellar. Um, it's just beautiful, the work he does. It's so much more than just writing anything and slapping it on a film. He really he heavily and deeply contextualizes his work and, and roots it deeply in the emotions of the character and the story um, and the concepts of the story. And like you, even if you're not a musician, like you feel that when you watch the films, I think. Um, yeah, so that his kind of work inspires me a lot. So I'm hoping to do some stuff like that in the future, definitely. That That's great to hear because especially all through your journey, a big part of your work has been writing stories as well. So it's quite evident that mm. you have that storytelling and narrative ideas inside your mind and it'll be interesting to see how far that can be pushed yeah well i started writing a script um a few years ago Hmm. and um i want to basically pitch a pilot episode to a network a pilot episode uh no pun intended um but i want to pitch a pilot episode to a network um at some point um and what's great is they have Mike, who does all the visual stuff for me, um, I will get him to storyboard it. I will write music for it. And I'll basically pitch the whole package and I'll say, look, we have music, we have visuals. Um, what do you think? And that that would be a dream of mine is to be able to write music for something I've created on screen. That would be, that would be perfect. I would love to do that. Now, you've obviously established a clear style in the synthwave genre of music over the years. Mm. Do you ever feel like you want to explore other styles as well? Or are you content and happy with the kind of stuff? Um, I've kind of, I kind of went through that process of experimentation before I got to, to working on this pilot project. Um, so I was producing music since around 2006. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had nine years basically to kind of figure out what it is I wanted to do. Um, and I was writing everything from R&B to, to disco music, to disco house, electro, all kinds of stuff. Um, but the one kind of genre that stuck with me the longest is this. And I feel like it's because I genuinely, I love listening to it. Um, I love the culture surrounding it. I love how it inspires, um, you know, the kind of the gorgeous kind of artwork and, and film stuff that I see on profiles like yours and on other people's. Um, it's just, to me, it's far more rooted in like an aesthetic. Mm-hmm. It's not just about what you hear. It's 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 kind of heavily associated and affiliated with visually something I'm also quite interested in. Um, so, I mean, I always try and experiment with my style, but I think at the root of it all, I don't think my style is going to change that much now. Um, if anything, I just kind of want to develop it a bit, maybe just experiment with with things here and there, but ultimately it would remain the same, I think. I would really be fascinated to know what your experience would be if you would go back and read, let's say, Neuromancer or some of the really classic cyberpunk novels from the past because books give us a completely different feeling and sensation when there is no visual Mm -hmm. cue at all. You almost need to make up everything in your mind. 
it'll be fascinating mm. it'll be very fascinating to see how a musician interprets it now because the visually cyberpunk the genre has been established quite clearly but in music it's a lot more intangible things can flow mm-hmm. in a very different manner mm-hmm. yeah i mean I, this year i was going to start reading a lot more books um i haven't read anything <laughs> yet <laughs> apart from that thing behind me there um but that's basically like a picture book so i don't think it counts no coffee table <laughs> books don't count yeah <laughs> but um yeah if you've got any recommendations i'm happy to give them a look for sure Did you say one. Neuromancer? Yeah, Neuromancer then even uh, quite a few books by Philip K Dick like of course Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep is a classic based Blade Runner is based on that but there's The Three Stigmata of Palmer Eldritch and a couple of more names I'll send it over to you later. Cool. Yeah. Great. So I was also curious in terms of sharing your knowledge now you started streaming quite often Is it weird for you after so many years now you're revealing your process openly and people can see the mistakes that you're making as the process of creating happens? Yeah, I think what makes it strange is that I've always liked ambiguous artists. I've always liked people that allow the music to speak for itself. So I've always been a fan of I mean Daft Punk is an obvious one. Um artists like Kavinsky for example, he's got some wonderful music. um and his whole project is based on an alias a character i'm not familiar um, with that name uh kavinsky k i v i n s k y he's he's have you seen the film drive yeah with ryan gosling oh okay you know okay. the song you know the song you hear at the start when yeah. he's driving right 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 yeah that's kavinsky um and similar to me um his whole project is centered around a character um that isn't him and so all of his music videos follow the journey of this basically he's he's a man that's died and come back to life as like this zombie in the 80s um with like a cool varsity jacket on and a and a um a ferrari testarossa and stuff like oh, it's really cool nice. um it's really cool and i was always inspired by that kind of thing you know keeping my personal life separate and allowing people to kind of invest themselves in this world this this other entity that they could get lost in um but it started hindering my career a bit because you know anyone I would work with or talk to I'd have to give them an NDA you know um you can't share my personal information whatever and initially it was because I wanted people to focus on the story and on the character and not on me and ironically it ended up being the opposite because I chosen to be so secretive um and so I decided it would be best if I actually just came out and was like hi guys this is me um okay now focus on what i'm making don't focus on me mm. um but it's wonderful honestly like i've i've been streaming for maybe 2 months um no about 6 weeks and the community that i've been building is really great you know like-minded producers um and being able to actually explain my process is great because as much as i enjoy being sat in here doing it on my own to finally be able to explain why i choose to do things or how i do things is quite refreshing um and getting feedback from people when they say oh this sounds great maybe try this and that um i guess it also helps me as a writer kind of go you know okay the stuff i'm making like people like it cool i'm going to carry on um yeah mm, that's it's much better now i think in terms of like the people who are viewing your live stream are they all musicians at a similar level of skill or is there a mix of kind of people who are listening to it so there's a mix there's there's people that just come in because they're fans there are people that 
don't know who I am, but just find me on on the platform and decide to listen and then they become part of the community. Um, but there are a lot of producers that listen, um, that tune in specifically to look at my work process, to get, um, you know, pointers and stuff. Um, yeah. And some of them are very talented. We have, I do this thing once, uh, twice a month called feedback Friday mm -hmm. and people will submit things they're working on. I'll listen to it and I'll give them feedback live on the stream. Um, it's a great opportunity for them, I guess, to, to get people to hear their stuff um, and to get some feedback. And it's always nice hearing what they make and super talented, honestly, like that there are people in there that are like 16 years old, like literally half my age and they're making things 10 times better than what I think I could make. Um, it's inspiring. Honestly, it's great. Yeah. It's always good to be able to start interacting with the community and, you never know, it might even lead to more collaborations down the line as you start developing those friendships online. Yeah, well, funny that you'd say that because as a result of me kind of coming out and saying who I was and stuff, I was able to establish connections with, um, like it's an absolutely incredible artist called McCrocklin. And um, he is, he was a child prodigy on guitar. Um, you know, he's been in... Um, Steve Vai music videos. He's, he's, he's met Steve Vai. He's, you know, he's, he was basically, he's got a guitar in like the hard rock cafe and stuff. Oh, wow. He's okay. a big deal. Um, and as soon as he realized who I was, or whatever, he reached out and he was like, let's work on something. Let's do this and that. And since then, like we've become good friends and like, he's hooked me up with this like lovely guitar from like his sponsor and stuff. Like I saw the unboxing of that guitar on Instagram. Though. Yeah. That, that's the guy. Um, the, the other, gentleman in the in the video that's him that's awesome yeah that's mm. the kind of like impromptu con con connections and conversations that you can never expect and it's quite fun when these yeah. things happen definitely yeah do you ever plan to teach your music or your style of music um yes i well i mean i kind of use my streams as a way to do that in a way um so we'll have streams where I'll open old projects and I'll break them down. I'll show people how I've written them, um, you know, channel by channel or whatever. Um, but I don't, I, I, it would probably be quite hard for me to try and teach my style or because I think it's all well and good teaching someone your sound, but teaching someone your thought process, like how can someone else make what I'm making? I wouldn't know how to teach that. Um, because to be honest, I might spend 200 hours on a song. And mm. by the time I finished it, I go, how did I get to this point where it's finished? Because it's been such a journey of up and down, up and down, going back, changing things. Um, obviously, every time I feel a song, I'm like, wow, I was lucky to finish that one. <laughs> and then I move on to the next one. It's, it's such <laughs> an abstract concept, right? Like when a piece of music is finished, it's so hard to gauge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. That's how it is for me. Once it's finished, I'm like, wow, I can't believe that's done. Okay, on to the next one. So um, for me personally, I like to work on multiple projects at the same time so that I don't get stuck or bored of any one mm -hmm. particular thing. Are you the same way that way? I am. Yeah, like if, if I have a look at my system now, I've probably got about 80, maybe 100 unfinished ideas. Um, wow. And I'll always kind of flip between them um some of them stand out more than others so some of them I, I actually want to finish 
So at the minute, I've probably got, say, four or five on rotation that I'm kind of working on at the same time. Um, because like you say, um, you want to keep it fresh and exciting. You don't want to burn yourself out on the same idea. Um, also, like ear fatigue, especially, is like is like a big factor as well. If you listen to the same thing for 12 hours a day, you're going to get sick of it. Yeah. And you're not going to analyze it the same. You're not going to contextualize it the same. So, yeah, I think it's important as well to to switch around and to work on other stuff at the same time, definitely. Do you send out rough cuts of your music early on to other musicians or people you trust to get feedback at an early stage? Yeah. Um, so up until I started streaming, I would I would do that. Um, and now that I'm streaming, I tend to do that less and I tend just to work on things live. Um, I kind of get a sense as to whether it sounds good, whether people are enjoying it. Um, which is always handy, like getting the live interaction uh, because I'm, I'm sat here making it at the time. I can just make some changes. I can do whatever. Um, but yeah, I, I, I didn't used to send my music out that often because I had a couple of instances where things would get leaked. Oh, um, okay. And the issue was if I'd signed a contract with a label, for example, to release a song and then that song gets leaked, um, that creates legal issues. It creates a whole bunch of problems. Yeah. Um, so I kind of stopped doing it as much, only with people I really trust. So I have a few friends that I can send stuff to, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So um, as you start, or let's say, develop a much larger presence online and on social media, especially after you revealed who you are, is there a surge of people kind of reaching out to you and asking for tips on how to get into music production itself? <laughs> Yeah, um, not so much on social media, but on on my Discord. Um, excuse me, I have my own Discord server, mm-hmm. and um, we have a bunch of channels set up there for people to get like industry advice and um, to get feedback on their work, tips on how to improve. Um, and I do get asked a lot. I get asked a lot via email as well, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people asking how can I get into the industry? How can I, you know, do what you're doing? Um. Yeah, I get asked quite a lot. So, I mean, what are the general pointers you ask people to keep in mind? Because what I've noticed is that once somebody has been working in the industry for quite a long time, we almost forget how we started essentially because it's been so long mm-hmm. since the beginning. So how, how do you yeah. keep bringing yourself back to their level and understand that struggle as a beginner? I think because... Um, I've always felt, like I mentioned earlier, like I'm never where I want to be. Mm-hmm. This is where I want to be and this is where I am. And it feels like the more I improve, the, the higher my expectations and goals are. So I'm forever trying to attain something. Um, so in that sense, we have something in common. And of course, I have been where they are. Um, and the only reason I'm not where they are now is because I've kept doing it and I've kept working. Um, so when I get people asking me for advice, you know, how can they be where I am? Um, I always say the most important thing is you've got to do something because you enjoy it. Um, you have to enjoy the work. You have to enjoy the process because in an industry like the music industry, it's tough. It's a tough business to get into. It's an even tougher business to make money from. And it's a saturated market as well. Yeah. You know, um, the point I was making earlier about these software companies developing things that ba- essentially write music for you that you can then copyright as your own. It means that everyone's looking to make a quick buck here and there. Um, you know, everyone's releasing music. And so 
if you do it because you like it and not because you just want to be successful, you want to make a lot of money or whatever, then you will be successful. You just have to make sure that you continuously check your check yourself, make sure that you're doing things for the right reasons. I always say to people, you know, when you write something, send it off, get feedback. How could you improve? Um, networking is a massive, an absolutely massive thing as well. Um, and people always say, how do you network? And to me, it's obvious, like, just talk to people. Mm -hmm. Like, yes. like me with you, I like the work you did. And I sent you a message. I was like, I really love the work you do because it's true. And now I'm sat on a podcast talking to you, like, you know, I think, um, I think people overcomplicate the word networking so much in their minds. <laughs> they forget it's just talking to yeah. another human being. Yeah, exactly. They're like, oh, well, I don't know how to network and how to meet people. I'm like, the thing is, is that you'll find that these tiny little decisions that you make that positively impact your career will then lead on to like a chain reaction of other opportunities. Mm -hmm. um, so for example, I might, like I worked on um, the film that I did in 2017. Off the back of that, someone else got in touch and I made a contact there. Off the back of that, someone else got in touch and I made a contact there. Um, and I think it's just important that um, don't force it and be genuine. You know, yeah. the worst thing you can do is is try and grow your network by just, just for growing your network's sake. Like you have to be genuinely interested in the people you make connections with. And that's the only way that those connections will ever be fruitful. Um, if, if you're networking because you want to gain something from someone, I think that's the wrong thing to do. Um, you know, the way I've always networked is literally to just reach out to people whose work I genuinely like. Um, or, you know, companies I want to work with because I like what they're doing. Um, if you come from a place like that, I, I think, you know, good things will come out of it. Just don't force it. Just be genuine and interact with people. It's really not that difficult. People make it a lot harder than it is. Yeah, that's quite true. I mean, the point that you mentioned about expecting something in return right at the beginning, that's the wrong way to mm -hmm. approach it. Because I think it's quite obvious when somebody is trying to reach out to you just to get something in return. And that happens to me all the time, maybe 50 times a week. Hmm. How, how do that you deal with that? I mean, does it get frustrating for you? It does. Um it does. I used to, I never used to reply to things like that. So like I'd get messages like, you know, you'd see like an embedded link. The first thing you see is like an embedded link and it's a link <laughs> to like a YouTube video or something. And then someone's like, Hey, love your music. Can you check this out? Tell me what you think. And it's uh, like, I get it. It's like, maybe you just want some advice and that's fine, but it's the wrong way to go about it. I think, um, you know, I don't think I'm anyone particularly special, but I do value my time. Yeah. And in that sense, if I feel like you're only approaching me because you want something, then I haven't got time for you. Um, which might sound bad, but that's just the way it is. That's, that's just the way I think, you know. Um, you, for example, I reached out to you. and We just chatted about art and music and stuff. And mm. I'm happy to do this because you're a genuine person, you know, there's no ulterior motive there. We just liked each other's stuff and that's cool. Um, and it was like months ago. I mean, there was not even yeah. a podcast at that time when we started talking. <laughs> mm, yeah. Yeah. There wasn't. Yeah. That was a long time. It was like in August as well. It's like six months. How many months ago? I think about six, seven months yeah. ago. Yeah. A bit more than that. Yeah. It's been a while. Crazy. Oh, it's interesting. Mm. So yeah, I tend to just ignore people now if, if, if that's the kind of vibe I get.
Um, just because if I reply to one of them, I feel like I've got to reply to the, the other 49 I get. Hmm. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's ironic, right? If they had just genuinely tried to make a connection with you, you might have just seen the music and given the feedback that they wanted. Yeah, of course. Definitely. Um, you know, I had an email from someone the other day and uh, they were like, hi, um, I've listened to your music. It's great. It's a shame none of your songs have vocals in. Let me change that. Contact me. <laughs> and I had to reply and I was like, but I've got three songs with vocals in. Did you even listen? Like, I'm not interested, but thank you for reaching out anyway. Like, he probably didn't even listen to the music. Do you know what I mean? Mm. He was just trying to find someone to work with. Um, probably hit the top five and then skip the rest or something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, probably. Yeah. So there was one thing I wanted to touch upon. Um, like we talked about earlier, there's a story that goes on with every single track. And you're obviously not a writer by profession. It's something that you've been developing. How do you critique that? Because as a musician, there's a very separate kind of skill set. And as a writer, it's a different mm -hmm. thing. How do you develop that? Um, so it's probably not a good habit, but I... I choose not to. So I've done research on how to write and how to create like good story arcs and stuff. And I feel like my basic knowledge has, has done me okay up until now. Um, but in general, like the only, the only kind of way that I can look back at that and realize how to improve is feedback I get from like the readers. Mm -hmm. So quite a few of the people that are, following along with the story and that are interested will, will give me feedback or I'll just see it on social media. Um, you know, oftentimes it might be things like, Oh, I would love to see more character development for this person, or I don't really know what this person is about or whatever. Um, and it's usually just the feedback I get from people that read it, that kind of help me shape the future things that I end up releasing because I kind of have the whole story arc mapped out. Um, and I'm like, maybe a third of the way through or something or just under a third of the way through and I'm writing it as I go along so for example the next song I'm writing I know what's going to happen I just haven't written it and mm -hmm. when the song is done I will then listen to it and, and and continue to write um so yeah for me it's just feedback off of of the public people who listen to it I've got a couple of friends as well that are writers so I might send something to them that's interesting as well and if I'm not wrong, you very recently teased the beginnings of the next song that you're working on, right? Um, where where would you have seen that? I think on Instagram, maybe I might be mistaken or maybe it was just your stream. I'm not sure. Yeah, um, so I have been working on my next song on stream. Um, it's going to be a collaboration between me and another artist, um, which will be getting announced very soon. But... Um, yeah, I've been working on that. And because I know where the story is going, it's easy for me then to contextualize the music and write it. Mm. Um, the issue is, like I was saying earlier, when you want to write something that is the polar opposite in terms of emotively what you want the story to tell. Um, yeah, that's when I have issues. So now it's great because the song I'm writing is what I want to write. And it's an exact uh, kind of coexists nicely with what's happening in the story. So. Yeah, it's important to sync those two things up up front so that there's no mismatch down the line. Definitely, because like if if on my website you can actually read the story and listen to the song and look at the artwork at the same time. And so it really has to make sense. That's why most of my music is instrumental, because I don't want, I don't want to be singing whilst you're trying to read something. 
I almost want the music to, to kind of set the tone and kind of give you that the background yeah. um, for you then to just <coughs> for you then to read the music, uh, read the story. I don't, I don't want to keep you for too long. I'll just end with one final question. Yeah, sure. Um, and I, this is something that I'm always curious about. So where do you see your craft evolving over the next 15 years, 10 to 15 years? Um, as in me personally, as a creator? You personally, as well as your music and the pilot as a project or an entity. Okay. Um, what, like I mentioned earlier, one of the big goals for me is to realize this in like a, a film format mm-hmm. or like a series. So I would love to take this story and this kind of world that I've built along with the art and the music and the characters and transform it into something tangible. Um, you know, have it become a series, have it become a, a series of short films or whatever. But kind of to re that is an end goal for me. And I really want to realize that and have that happen. Um, in 15 years, I would have loved for that to have either happened or for it to be happening at that point for sure. Um, hopefully it's not going to take me that long to get there. But it's taken me 15 years to get here. So who knows? <laughs> who knows? Um, yeah, that's where I'd like to be, I think, in 15 years. As long as I'm happy doing the work still and I'm enjoying it, that's all I can ask for. That's awesome. Yeah, I wish you the best of luck in getting there. I'm sure you will because as you gain experience, the progress just gets exponentially faster. So it's only going to mm-hmm. be better from here on. Yeah, I hope so. Awesome, man. Thank you so much for your time. It was a great conversation. I learned so many new things because this is a yeah. field I don't know much about. So always happy to talk to you. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for inviting me on, man. It's been nice to talk to you. Awesome. Cool, then we'll awesome. stay in touch and looking forward to what you come up with next. Yeah, all right, mate. Thank you.